Almost all of us want to be in a workplace where we don't have to pretend to be somebody else. And yet, not many places create an environment where that can genuinely happen. In this episode, what you can do to help people show up as themselves. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 580. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show helps you discover leadership wisdom through insightful conversations. One of the things that many of us have a heart for is how to help people show up as themselves inside the organization, and also how to help each one of us show up as ourselves. It's something that many organizations are not good at, of being able to create the environment and the culture for that. And yet, each leader, each one of us, have the opportunity to do a better job at that each day, both for ourselves and for others, and of course, for the benefit as well for the organization. I'm so glad to welcome today someone who's absolutely an expert at helping people to show up as their whole selves and has been doing some extraordinary thinking on helping leaders to really influence organizations in a positive way. I'm so pleased to introduce to you Frederick Lelou. He is the author of Reinventing Organizations, a global word-of-mouth bestseller with over 700,000 copies sold in 20 languages. The book has inspired the founders of Extinction Rebellion, The Sun movement and Project Drawdown, as well as countless corporate leaders and faith movements. In a past life, he was an associate principal with McKinsey and Company, and he's also the creator of the Insights for the Journey video series. Frederick, what a pleasure to have you on the show. So glad to be here with you today. I have heard about your work for almost the last decade since the book came out. I've had so many people reference it to me. And in Getting into your work, it was so excited to find so many practical things that can really help us to really raise our consciousness inside our work and inside our organizations. What prompted you writing this book almost a decade ago? Oh, wow. That's a very personal story. So I had been working as a, as a consultant for large organizations, large banks and chemical firms and pharmaceutical firms for 15 years. And I just reached a point where I had this moment of profound sadness and and lack of energy. It was really from one day to the next, and it took me two or three weeks to figure out what was happening. And I I realized that I I just wasn't really able to work with most of my clients anymore. There was just I think I you know in my own sort of personal growth and and maybe spiritual growth, I, I had just come to a point where I just realized that I just saw how unhealthy a lot of the organizations are like, you know, deep in their bones, like you'd really the, the structures and, and everyday practices. And I would come into, you know, these headquarters that are made of marble and glass and, you know, and, and just realize like how cold they are and how everybody's running around and, you know, working on the next, you know, mid-level planning and, and yearly budget. And, and I had to come to a place where I was like, really, is that you know, is that really, you know, you've done 15 of these budgets in your life or 20 of these, like, is that still interesting? So I, I had just come to a place where I was starting to question a lot of the ways we do management. And that led me on this trajectory of looking for organizations who do things differently and trying to understand and, and basically stumbling upon like a whole different management paradigm that seems to be emerging while our 
existing management paradigm, you know, the one that we teach in, in business schools seems to be slowly but surely going past its its shelf life, you know, is increasingly exhausted and, and unable to deal with the the complexity of our times. One of the words that shows up in your work a lot is the word wholeness. Mm. I'm I'm wondering how you think about wholeness and what it means and why does it matter? Yeah. You know, this is a subtle topic. Most people wouldn't say like, you know, I'm not whole at work or, but the truth is that in almost all organizations, we feel that, you know, it's, it's safer to show up with a, a professional mask, right. To, to um, show and highlight certain aspects of, of who we are and, and hide others. Because we feel that if we were to show up fully, you know, with all of who we are, our, our strengths, our weaknesses, our quirks, our, you know, it, it, it might not work out well for us, right? And Gary Hamill says it well, like, you know, we have like these two jobs, like the, the job we're paid for and then this other job of keeping up a certain image of, of ourselves. Mm. And what I found fascinating in, when I was researching a number of these organizations for my book is to realize that they had come to this really profound insight is that when we hide a good part of who we are behind a professional mask, we also cut ourselves off from a big part of our energy, our creativity, our passion. And so they're the gifts that we bring to the organizations. And so if so many organizations feel somewhat lifeless, I think it is in part because we're leaving so much of, of life behind. And so what these organizations have done, which I, you know, it's, really astounded by and, and, and heartened by was really creating a lot of very concrete practices to invite people to show up, you know, in, in all of the glory of their and messiness of, of, of the human experience and just showing up more fully in whole. And what I've seen in these organizations is just a level of, you know, a buzz, a level of energy, of creativity, of people helping each other and supporting each other. That is amazing. And, and the flip side of that is like, you know, the politics go down and the, the time that is wasted in, in stuff that everybody knows is not productive, but that we usually put up with goes down. And so it just makes for so much more vibrant workplaces. And so you can look at it from two perspectives, you know, the, the, the one that I generally go into, which is I simply would no longer want to work in a workplace where I cannot be, you know, myself and where other people are just part of themselves. Like I, I feel that cheats me of my human experience if I'm if I'm in one of these workplaces for eight hours a, a day. So I think it, there's just a very deep longing for us to show up fully and to be seen for who we are. But there's also, you know, for the more hard-minded people, there there is a business case for it, right? It, it just makes organizations so much more vibrant and and productive. Yeah, indeed. And there's there's so many wonderful invitations you make in your work that helps to nudge us forward on this. And especially from a leadership standpoint, there's a lot a leader can do regardless of what's happening in the larger organization. And I want to ask you about that. But I, I first am curious about a word you surfaced actually before we started recording, you mentioned to me the word pain, and that there's a bit of a, a subtle pain of not tapping into wholeness. How do you see that pain show up for people? Oh, in, in so many ways, and it's different in different organizations. I mean, if I just look back, you know, my first job was at a consulting firm at McKinsey. And, you know, one of the ways that that you're supposed to show up there, at least at the time, you know, this is a long time ago, was you had always to show up positive, 
you know, everything was always going great. You were always, you know, in control and you were, and it, it was only with maybe one or two colleagues that you were felt really close with that sort of behind closed doors, you know, you might say like, ah, oh, I'm so tired. Like, you know, I, I don't know if I like this job anymore. I don't know if this, right. But otherwise you had just constantly to keep, keep up this appearance of, of happiness of, you know, my career is going somewhere and, and, you know, it's, it's subtle, but there's, there's sort of a, a pain of the relationships becoming sort of superficial and transactional and working with so many people, but actually not, not being myself, them not knowing what's happening in my life, you know, and the, and the other way around. And it's, it's a subtle pain because we're so used to it for so many of us that we just go like, yeah, you know, that's, that's just normal. And it, it takes experiencing a different kind of way of showing up to go like, oh, wow, I didn't even know that I was missing, missing this. Uh-huh. I didn't even know that that was, that that was possible, frankly. One of the, the things behind this is I think there's a fear with a lot of leaders that if we were to show up whole, you know, people would bring their worst selves to work right? Like, you know, mm. people would suddenly be wearing whatever clothes they want and say how unhappy they are. And I mean, if you, if you think about it, our modern organizations, you know, have historically been sort of molded on hierarchies from the army. And in the army, we've learned that we needed to, you know, in order for people to kill other people, we needed to, them to feel all identical, you know, shave their head, you know, shave their hair, wear the same uniform so that we, you know, get every drop of individuality out of them so that we could better command them. And I think that that is still sort of an unconscious thinking that is around is we should ideally make people identical. You know, workers should be these cogs in the machine because then they will do their best job. And that's when really productive work starts to starts to happen. Hmm. It, like so many things in leadership, being able to do that better for others and help other people show up whole and as themselves really does start with us first. And I'm curious, how do you begin to discover some of that wholeness for yourself, for the person who maybe does feel a bit of that subtle pain that, and I can't, I'm not quite maybe showing up in the way that's really authentic to who I am. What's helpful for them to start on? One of the helpful ways to think about what are the the private conversations that you're having in your head, but that you're not saying out loud, or what would you maybe be saying to your best friend or to your spouse, um, you know, at, at night when you come home with a good glass of wine, uh, but that you're not sharing, right? And you know, that's the thing that we we keep from others, right? That's the thing where, you know, how many meetings have we had where? we sense that the topic that we're talking about in the meeting isn't the real one, that there's something deeper underneath, but we're not going there. And so we have this whole meeting that is sort of a pretend meeting because we don't go, we don't go a level deeper. Right. And sometimes, you know, if you simply name that other conversation that you're having in your head, where you're saying, you know what, you know, we've been talking for 10 minutes about this, but I wonder if there's not something deeper here. Right? Can we be honest for a second and talk about the fact that I think we're all afraid, you know, if we go down this route of, you know, whatever, you know, how that will reflect on how we divide budgets next year. I'm afraid that that would take budget away from my team and and make it go to the other team. Or, you know, I'm afraid that I don't know if I have the skills for this, you know, or 
I'm afraid that, you know, our best clients, you know, will not recognize us if we go in this direction, whatever it is. But suddenly you will notice if you just speak, you know, this sort of internal dialogue that you might be having, generally, like in a meeting, there's like an incredible sense of relief that you've finally spoken about the thing that other people might have been sensing. And suddenly, you know, productivity and, and creativity is back. You know, now we're talking about the real issue. And, you know, we we use this word wholeness. For some people, that that sounds sort of like, ooh, you know, you can also just talk about like, you know, being real, you know, showing up with, you know, with our real selves, you know, talking about the real topics, you know, just being real about, you know, what's happening. You mentioned this a few minutes ago, and it's it's also reminding me of a theme I see in the book and the, both of the books that there's the tendency, I think a lot of times in many organizations, that there's a fear that if we open up that conversation about emotion or letting people show up as their whole selves and not having to put on a mask, that all of a sudden we're going to get overrun with emotion and just talking about feelings in the organization and we're never going to get anything done. And yet the irony is that it's actually the opposite, that opening up the door to that often then allows us to have a much more productive conversation, to follow the agenda, to get back into the content that in a way that, I mean, the word wholeness, I mean, it's, it's so appropriate. It's not, it's not one or the other, it's both. Yeah, totally. And I, I mean, it's true. I've, I've seen some organizations go overboard making wholeness a, a purpose in itself and, and, you know, going like, oh, we should all be in touch with our emotions and we shall talk about our emotions all day. And I, that's not the point. The point is simply like, if there's an emotion there and it's, and it needs to be addressed because otherwise it's, it's preventing us from doing good work, then let's address it. And, you know, if somebody's going on and on and on about their emotion, and now I feel frustrated because I want to make progress, I will just say that. I say like, hey, you know, I, I, I'm so glad you were able to share your emotions here, but I'm, you know, I'm really wanting to make progress with the agenda. And um, would you be okay going back to it? And what would you need to go back to it? You know, can we have that other conversation later? Or can you have it with somebody else? But I, I feel like it's becoming too long. So this, just like everything else, you know, you can just use it productively and, and put in healthy boundaries. The goal is not for emotions to start taking over the organization, but simply to be real, you know, address what's what's there. In so many organizations, there are a lot of cultural barriers to showing up with wholeness. What do those tend to look like? Well, typically the, the barriers are linked to the image we have of what being professional looks like. And it's slightly different in every organization, but generally sort of in our, our Western culture, you know, being professional looks like being in control. I'm always in control. I know what I'm doing. You know, I don't show doubts because that doubts make me look bad or weak. I have all the facts and the figures. So it's, it's sort of a very, tends to be a pretty, you know, rational self that, that we project generally tends to be, at least in the higher levels of management, tends to be upbeat. You know, we're, we know what we're doing. Um, we're, we're go-getters. We're, so, you know, that's, so it's a, it's generally a pretty masculine, rational, energetic, sort of aggressive self. And so anything that doesn't belong there feels unsafe because you go like, oh, I might not be projecting, you know, the right image, the right image of success. So showing up with doubts, which we all have, and, and we should have them, right? Because otherwise we're going to be reckless professionals. Like, you know, I, I still don't see clearly here. I, I don't know what, 
you know, I, I don't have all the information yet to to make that decision. You know, that generally is not is not valued. The caring side of ourselves, sort of, you know, what some people would say, the more feminine side that we all have, whether we're men or women, but like the more caring side is, you know, is it generally less valued than the than the doer side. So certainly the, you know, sort of a talking about purpose and talking about, you know, the deeper reason we're here, you know, we we like these mission statements that sound snappy, but if you're really asking about the deeper purpose of like, you know, the organization, you know, often that that comes across as being sort of, oh, you know, what what is he bringing up um, or what is she bringing up here? So, you know, even though every organization is different, there tend to be sort of these, these generic aspects of what is valued and what is not valued. And people learn that pretty quickly, right? But if you if you change organizations, I don't know if that's happened in your life, you know, you've gone into a new organization. Oh, sure. You tend to have your radar out, you know, your antennas out to go like, okay, so what is safe here and what isn't safe? You like, you know, how should I show up? How should I behave? Yeah. And there's the tendency for all of us to adhere to whatever the dominant culture is in the organization. And I think you captured it perfectly of what a dominant culture looks like in many organizations. And I think that those of us who may identify more with that dominant culture, we may not even notice it as much. But I think one of the things that has been really helpful for me thinking through your teachings is that so many people are code switching inside the organization because they don't necessarily adhere or identify with the dominant culture, but they feel like they need to do that in order to fit in and to get traction in the organization, don't they? Yeah. But then the, the strange paradox is that those people who dare to break that and, and do it cleverly, you know, don't go all the way from, you know, day one, but like the people who show up more fully, who show up with more of a caring self, the leaders, you know, who who show their vulnerabilities and show their doubts tend to be absolutely loved in the organization. You know, people want to work for them. People gravitate towards them. So the strange paradox here is that what we're afraid of is actually one of the, the ways we can be most successful, that we can have most people wanting to work with us. And I'm, I'm sure that people who might be listening to this, if you think about your own organization, like, you know, think about like this one person that everybody wants to work with. Mm. And I'm pretty sure that I can predict it's not because they get amazing results. They probably do. But it's because they're just this really genuinely real person, this really likable person, this person that you like to be around um, with. And most likely it is because they dare to be themselves and they show up with some of their vulnerabilities and some of the doubts. And actually being vulnerable, you know, is their secret strength, you know, is, is their secret weapon. Yeah, indeed. And that's what gives me so much hope reading your book, even for the organizations that may not have thought about this very intentionally, is that I think there's so much that we can do as individual leaders that can really help us to move in that direction and to do a lot to really help people show up as themselves. And one of the other points you make is when thinking about how to start talking about wholeness is whether to actually talk about it or just to start doing it. <laughs> and I, I wonder if you could tell me a bit about that distinction and like why you might go either way. Yeah. I mean, I so I, I know a few company executives, company leaders who've really decided that that was important to them, right? CEOs who said like, I want to change a culture in my organization. 
I no longer want to be in one of those organizations where everybody's hiding behind a mask. Like that's just not what I want. And so they've really addressed it publicly. They've just talked about it. It's sometimes like sort of become sort of a real culture change program. And that's, that's amazing. And that's, that's beautiful. And, you know, every instance I know of, you know, the, just the level of engagement and, and happiness and, and productivity just go through the roof. I mean, it, it's as if people had been, you know, why, you know, waiting for this without realizing. So it can be sort of a com- company-wide conversation, but it can also be just something like, hey, I'm a middle manager. You know, I, I, I want more of that. And I just start doing it. And I don't talk about it in, with grand words. I, I'm just, you know, imp- starting implementing that. And I, I do it in my one-on-one conversations, you know, where I just show up more real. I, I, I just disclose a little bit more about myself. And I invite others to share a little bit more about themselves. You know, I... I share that you know inner conversation that we talked about earlier. And I just share it. I I switch from going from content to feeling when it's appropriate, right? I do it in one on one. I I do it in my in my group meetings. So you know, if you're a middle manager, every opportunity is is the right one to go more into that direction. You know, just show you know a little bit more vulnerability. Show up more as yourself, and suddenly you'll see that other people might uh, open up and do the same thing. Yeah, indeed. And one of the things that I really appreciate is that you make the point that it's it's often really helpful to just use everyday language rather than trying to, you know, get into these really <laughs> deep I I don't even know the word, like you know, the kind of the, the fluffy language about, you know, motion and all those kinds of things, but actually just to just use explain what you're doing in everyday language and that the entry point for that often is through stories of your own personal history and the history of the organization. What does that sound like as an entry point for maybe someone who's who's never thought about sharing some of that before? Yeah, you know, it goes back to often we feel safe, you know, dealing in abstraction and using management lingo and, but often, you know, when you just bring it down to everyday language, you know, the kind of language that you would use with your 10 year old or with your grandma, you know, Everybody gets it, and it, it it can be very easy. You know, I I mean, earlier I, I just I just shared my my own example, and so if I if I had to share with people why this is important to me, I would just you know with colleagues I would simply say, you know what, I used to work for this consulting firm, and oh, at the time, man, everybody had always to pretend like you know everything was going great and like your career was going up, and you know, and at some point I just got tired of it, and I. I just want us to be more real. I just want us to, you know, share like, you know, where we're at. So, you know, I just want you to invite you to do that. And um, I'm happy to to start sharing. And then I would just share whatever is true for me. I'm really excited about that project. And I'm stressed out about this other thing. And, you know, my my big hope is that in three months, this will be better. And, and suddenly, you know, I've, I've just shared just, you know, with simple terms, what's up in my life. And then, you know, where, where are you at? And suddenly, you know, you find yourself sharing something. Um, and I haven't used any complicated language. I haven't used any, you know, let's all share our feelings and let's, you know, do a round and, you know, and talk from a place of wholeness. You know, I've, I've just used everyday language and and everybody gets it and and then people people join it. Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's a way to link that to your personal history. Another one is, is to link it to the, the organization and, and the organization's purpose. Right. In, in, in so many domains, wherever you're at, you know, showing up more fully makes real sense, like business sense. And it is really has a direct 
a relationship to our purpose. Like we, I don't know if you, you know, if you're in a hospital, we know that when nurses have more of a of a bond with their patients, if nurses show up more whole, and patients feel like they can really say how they're feeling, that the medical outcomes you know, are much higher. We know that when nurses and doctors don't see each other only as nurses and doctors with like this hierarchical differences where the nurses are afraid to speak up, but know each other, know each other's story a little bit. Chances are that nurses will speak up and, and will dare to say to the doctor, like, you know, I, I think you might have missed this. I, I, I think you might not know this about this patient. And it just makes for much better outcomes. So let's do that. And I'm, you know, I've, I just gave an example for a hospital, but the same is true if you're an airline company or, or whatever organization you're in. There's a reason why knowing each other and feel feeling comfortable with each other and being real with each other has a real impact and and might be needed if we take the purpose of the organization seriously. And there's such an important component of role modeling that I hear in what you're saying that, especially the leader setting the tone for that and and what that conversation sounds like and not i mean there's a tendency if we are making space in a meeting or a conversation to talk about how are you what's going on to say something really generic and that that will set the tone for what everyone else says and i i was was thinking about this frederick and that um, i was a dale carnegie instructor for many years and carnegie had a really beautiful statement in his instructor materials that he said, I'm not quoting him exactly, but it was the the message was no class participant will ever exceed the standard set by the instructor. And yeah. I, I yeah. thought of, I think about that in the context of this, of it's very unlikely, it's not impossible, it's very unlikely that anyone is going to really show up in a whole way in a meeting forum, in a one-on-one. If the person who's leading or facilitating has not set the tone for that first. And that, that sounds to me like just such a critical element of this. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's very true. And it's a challenge because we've, uh, we have this idea that a good leader is always has all the answers, right? Is always in control because otherwise, you know, why, why is he the leader? And we, we actually have studies that show how, perverse that is like how unhappy that makes people like if um, especially people who sort of have this very public function of being the person who's supposed to have all the answers like teachers we really have to teach teachers that they're not supposed to be the ones that have all the answers actually if they show students that they don't have all the answers students will love that and then the teacher just goes like okay let's find out you know Montessori teachers do that really well like I don't know let's find out and of course, the, then the kids are hooked, you know, then they want to, you know, find out like something that the teacher doesn't know, like, how cool is that? And I think the same thing is true for us as managers and organizations. We don't need to know all the answers. We can just be the people who facilitate a process that come to that answer. So I, I as a leader can perfectly say like, oh, wow, I hadn't thought about this before. Um, how are we going to find out? Like, how are we going to make the best decision? And what a relief for you that you don't need to project all the time that you know everything and what a relief for everybody else. And so even though we have a culture where bosses are supposed to know everything, let's just get rid of that assumption and just show up more real. I think the only thing that people are looking for is not that you know all the answers, is that you're solid enough, that you're confident enough that we'll come to the right answer, 
right? What might stress them out is if you completely lose it and go like, I have no idea, like I'm stressed out. I don't know where to go with this. But as long as you, you know, project some confidence where you go like, I don't know the answer yet, but I'm pretty sure we'll, you know, we'll find out, you know, with all of the intelligence and all of the minds that we have in our team, you know, people are going to follow you and, and love that. And so that's one simple way to start opening up this space is simply saying like, I don't know, but we'll find out. It's a bit ironic to me of how much of your work we are not talking about in this conversation, because there is so much for leaders and organizations who would really like to go further. And mm -hmm. I shared with you previously that one of my litmus tests for whether a book is good and, and really useful is, after reading it, does it change how you think about the world going forward in a way that you can never undo. And Reinventing Organizations is absolutely one of those books that it gets you thinking about the world in some of the first steps that we've talked about today, but it also gets you thinking about it from a broader organization of how could you do this more as a leader, uh, as an executive, as an owner for an entire organization. And it's the work is so beautiful. You've really given people so many practical entry points for that. So I hope that folks, if this was useful as a starting point, will take the next step to read Reinventing Organizations and also to get in on the video series. Uh, by the way, all the videos are freely available. You've been so gracious of making those available to everyone online. And I've found so many of them so helpful to me in just thinking about really good practical questions. And we've highlighted a few of those in this conversation. So um, thank you so much for making all of that available to us. Yeah. And thank you for this conversation. What a joy. Yeah, my pleasure. Well, I, I have one other question for you. You've been doing this work for such a while now of helping organizations reinvent themselves. You published this book. It took off like wildfire around the world in such a beautiful and incredible way. You didn't do much marketing for it, and yet it just it just took off. And as the book has gotten so much popularity, as you have reflected on your own work over the last few years, I'm curious, in the last couple of years, what's something that you've changed your mind on? A couple things come to mind. One is about a whole section of the book that we didn't talk about, which is, is self-management, right? There's this movement where there's organizations coming up that just organize radically differently with, without you know, this hierarchical relationship of boss subordinate. Um, I know it sounds crazy, you know, if you're not, you know, before I did the research, I <laughs> like if you had told me like there's organizations with thousands of people and there's no middle managers and stuff like I would have looked at you and said like, you're crazy. But so if anybody's listening to this and thinking like, you know, oh, you know, he's gone off a deep, deep end here, like, trust me, the, these organizations out there and they're incredibly powerful. Um, but one of the things that I write in that book and in the book and that I, you know, find so fascinating about self-management is suddenly everyone is powerful. Like everybody has access to power. Everybody has, when they see a problem or an opportunity, you know, can just make it happen. There's certain practices and processes and like, you know, who can make what decision, but, but everybody, you know, is powerful. And something I've learned after the book came out is, well, it's not exactly true that everyone is powerful, is that everybody has equal access to power, but not everybody takes power in the same way because we all carry sort of deep histories and conditionings that make that for some of us, it's just so much easier to make decisions, to, you know, to step into the limelight, to claim our power. And for other people, even though that we have access to power, it's much harder to do that. 
again, because of personal issues. And it just makes it so much harder for me to, you know, claim my power and believe in myself. But part of that conditioning is collective. You know, men and women, we haven't, you know, grown up with the same access to um, claiming our power. You know, I've, I've grown up as a middle-class white man. Like I'm, I'm used to like, okay, let me just say what I think. And let me just offer a suggestion. And generally people welcome it. Well, I, you know, something that I didn't appreciate when I wrote this book was the extent to which like, you know, different people have grown up with different conditionings. Like if I had grown up a woman, I probably would have learned that, you know, I, I'm not listened to in the same ways and I get pushed back in different ways. And I'm, you know, I, I, I need to be much louder if I want to be heard. And, you know, there's just like a whole way in which not, even if we level the playing field, the access to power is is different. And it's the same whether I'm, you know, white or people of color, or if I have a college degree or I don't have a college degree. And, um, you know, some some of these things are specific to organizations. Like, you know, if in this organization, if you have an engineering degree, you can step up. If you don't, you know, not so much. So I've just learned to really appreciate things that I frankly was kind of blind to. And probably because I, I grew up, you know, in middle class and, and and white and a man. And so, you know, things were always easier in that sense. And that's been a real interesting topic for me. Like, you know, what aspects of the book um, would I change now or would I have written differently if I had grown up in a different skin? Frederick Leloux is the author of Reinventing Organizations, a guide to creating organizations inspired by the next stage in human consciousness. Fred, thank you so much for your work. Oh, this was a pleasure. I neglected to mention that there's two versions of Frederick's book, Reinventing Organizations. The first version that published is the more traditional, academic, researched version of the book. And then the second version is the illustrated guide to the book. Both are excellent. Spent a bunch of time in both versions in preparation for this conversation. If you're looking for more of the details, the first version might be helpful to you. If you're looking for something that's a bit more concise, the illustrated guide might be a wonderful place to start. I'll link both up in this week's weekly leadership guide so you can decide where to begin. Thank you again, Frederick, for your work. And several related episodes I'd recommend if this conversation was helpful to you. One of them is episode 378, The Way to Stay Grounded. Parker Palmer was my guest on that episode. Frederick mentions him a bunch in his work as well. Parker and I in that conversation talked about the importance of being grounded, both as a leader, but also as a human being. What a wonderful compliment to thinking about how we show up as whole people, and also providing that invitation for others to find wholeness in their work, episode 378 for that. I'd also recommend episode 508, How to Be More Inclusive with Stephanie Johnson. Of course, uh, helping people to show up as their whole selves is a wonderful entry point to creating a bit more inclusion in your organization. Many other invitations in episode 508 from Stephanie and her research and looking at what we can do as leaders to begin to create an environment that has a bit more inclusion in it. I'd also recommend episode 539, The Path Toward Trusting Relationships. Edgar Schein and Peter Schein were my guests. They've done a ton of work over the years on organizational culture, leadership, inquiry. And in that conversation, we talked about how to move from having relationships that tend to be a little bit more transactional in the workplace to a place where they're a bit more personal, as we talked about today. A wonderful compliment to Frederick's work, episode 539 for that. And then finally, I'd recommend episode 556, 
end imposter syndrome in your organization with my guest Jody Ann Bury. Uh, Jody Ann really challenged us in that conversation not to think about imposter syndrome as something we assign to someone else, but to be thinking about the larger context of how imposter syndrome tends to show up and what we can do as leaders to create culture and inclusion in a way that helps imposter syndrome to begin to disappear. All of those episodes you can find on the coachingforleaders.com website. I'm inviting you to set up your free membership at coachingforleaders.com. If you do that, you're going to get access to a whole bunch of benefits on the coachingforleaders.com website. And one of them is the ability to search by topic for episodes that are in the library since 2011. Sometimes folks reach out to me and say, how do you how do you remember all those past episodes and uh, link to them each week like I've just done? And the truth is, um, I don't always remember all the episodes that we've aired over the years, but I use the website just as much as anybody else to go in and look at the episode library and pull up, like I did today, uh, what have we done previously on diversity and inclusion? What have we done previously on organizational culture? Uh, what have we done on other topics like coaching skills and difficult conversation and management skills. All of those are topic areas inside the episode library. If you know what you need right now, go into the episode library, find the topic that's relevant to you, and you'll find several episodes. And I'm uh, very confident you'll find several episodes that will be helpful to you wherever you are right now that'll support you in your leadership development. It's just one of the many benefits included inside free membership. Set up your account at coachingforleaders.com. It just takes a few seconds and you will be off and running with us on not only this episode, but everything coming forward. I hope you have a great week and I'll look forward to seeing you back on Monday for our next conversation. Take care.